of Fascism, a weekly news analysis and history podcast covering the rise of the right on a global scale. My name is Craig Johnson, and in this fourth episode, uh, we're going to transition away from the previous few episodes that were mostly introductory to deal with some historical events that are relevant to the present day. Uh, and you guessed it, uh, this is a podcast about fascism. We're going to talk about Germany. Now, we've talked about Germany before on the podcast, and understandings of Germany as it relates to fascism are sort of part of the zeitgeist. A lot of people think that they know, you know, a lot of what there is to know about fascism in Germany, but I think we need a little refresher for the purposes of this week. Now, Germany was not the birthplace of fascism, but it is the country that's most associated with it, primarily because of the success of the German National Socialist Workers' Party, the Nazi Party, under the leadership of Adolf Hitler, uh, Germany's aggression during World War II, the Holocaust. Um, these are all sorts of things that people know a lot about. You know, Nazis appear in movies, um, they appear in a lot of stories, television shows, um, many people might have known someone who fought in the Second World War or someone whose family was affected by German aggression during World War II uh, or by genocides committed by the German government during World War II. And so understandings about the dangers of German fascism are pretty widespread. However, a lot of Americans especially don't really know the story behind the rise of the Nazi party, and I couldn't tell you that story uh, with any justice in 15 minutes, uh, let alone as the introduction to a 15-minute podcast, um, but I'm going to do my best. So, after World War I, uh, Germany's imperial government collapsed uh, as a result of its catastrophic loss in World War I and the subsequent uh, destruction of the German economy. Uh, there was a post-war economic uh, recession, a massive inflation, huge economic troubles. At the same time, a new Republican government was established in Germany, which hadn't had one of those before. Germany as a unified country was uh, less than 50 years old at the time of the conclusion of World War I. So there was a lot of wrangling, a lot of questions about what kind of government it was going to be, what kind of country it was going to be. At the same time, uh, Germany was faced with uh, what many Germans at the time considered to be completely unreasonable debts, uh, war debts that, that they had to pay to the victors in World War I, uh, that is, the United States, Great Britain, France, and, well, Russia, but we'll get back to that. So the government was in a lot of trouble. Uh, it was a new government saddled with an extremely difficult financial burden, um, not just uh, in terms of how the economy was working, but in terms of these debts. At the same time, uh, German society was very divided. Um, immediately after the war, there was a massive left uprising in Germany, uh, partly led by Rosa Luxemburg, uh, who you may have heard of. Um, it was inspired, at least in part, uh, by the reasonable success of the Bolshevik Revolution uh, in Russia, which destroyed the Tsarist government and replaced it first with a parliament and later with the unitary party state of the Bolsheviks, what would become the Soviet Union. So we have this divided country uh, with a lot of economic problems and full of people who were deeply affected by these economic troubles and also by the turmoil that World War I had brought. Uh, again, listeners uh, in the United States, 
in the United States, World War One is sort of treated as the, you know, the look, the ramp onto World War Two. In continental Europe, it's not necessarily the case. Um, World War One was massively devastating to continental European society and to English society. Um, millions and millions and millions of young men died in the war. Uh, millions of civilians were killed, and much of many countries was devastated. And so in Germany, there were a massive number of veterans who believed that the victory that their country uh, could have had was lost, uh, who felt disaffected, who felt without a home, uh, who had fought for a government that no longer existed. Now, remember, because the government that they were fighting for, the German Empire, was gone. So in this milieu, the Nazi party emerged first uh, originally as the German Workers' Party and then renamed as the German National Socialist Workers' Party uh, in 1920. Originally, it was a relatively small party, uh, but a very virulent and vociferous one, um, led by Adolf Hitler from 1920. Um, a small party that participated in an attempted coup that landed Hitler in jail. Um, the party was sort of a laughingstock. It was not really regarded as a serious threat to democracy or a serious contender uh, for political power. However, its rising support, partly from veterans, partly from people who had been affected economically by the recession uh, and by the way the government was handling its payment of war debts, led it to achieve a plurality of the electorate in the 1933 German parliamentary election. Now, a plurality just means that they had the most votes of anybody, but nobody had a majority. So it was up to the president of Germany, von Hindenburg, to decide upon who the chancellor would be, the person who had the opportunity to form a ruling coalition. And after some wrangling, he chose Adolf Hitler, the leader of the Nazi party. And that is effectively the story of how the Nazis took power. Very quickly thereafter, the Nazis, as the leaders of parliament, uh, used parliamentary procedure and existing legal codes uh, bent to their interests uh, to change the way the German society worked, to change the way German government worked, to transform it from a relatively functional representative democracy uh, with a relatively liberal social order uh, into their fascist vision. Now, the important thing to remember here is that the Nazis won a reasonably fair election, and they achieved power, they entered parliament fairly, democratically, and normally. Now let's fast forward to the present. After the reunification of Germany in 1990, the reunification that is of East and West Germany, previously occupied by the United States, France, and Britain in the West, and the Soviet Union in the East, um, Germany has been ruled by coalitions of center-left and center-right parties, um, much like most other European states. Um, its economy has really boomed, um, the German government has been relatively stable. Um, they participated in the unification of Europe under the European Union and increasing ties between Germany and France and Italy and, you know, until like a month ago, the United Kingdom. Um, since 2005, Angela Merkel has been the Chancellor of Germany, that is the Prime Minister effectively, um, under the CDU party, the Christian Democratic Union. It's a Christian Democratic Party, a center-right party that sort of 
believes in the market and also reasonable levels of social provision. It's not a socialist party. Um, it's something more like a conservative social democratic party, uh, something that we don't really have in the United States, um, but which is a fairly common party platform throughout the rest of the world. Now, since the late 2000s, uh, we're talking 2015, uh, Germany has seen a lot of what we in the United States are unfortunately familiar with, a lot of what a lot of other people in the world are familiar with, the rise of the right wing again. Um, in Germany, this has taken two primary forms. One of them is the resurgence of right-wing political violence, and the other is the return of right-wing, that is extreme right-wing political parties. Uh, in this case, a party known as AFD, Alternative for Germany. In German, Germany is called Deutschland, so it's, it's a D. Talking about political violence, um, there's been a spate of right-wing political violent attacks in Germany recently. Um, some right-wing militants have killed government officers. Um, there have been threats of bombs. Uh, there have been investigations finding that members of the German military uh, had association with right-wing militants. And just yesterday, today, Thursday the 20th of February 2010, there was a shooting in a bar frequented by immigrants, uh, that is Muslim immigrants, um, who in Germany, as with much of continental Europe, are associated with uh, the refugee crisis ongoing in North Africa and the Middle East. Um, there was a shooting at a bar frequented by immigrants uh, in a town called Hanau, uh, which is a small city uh, close to Frankfurt in West Germany. Now, there are a couple really important things about this attack. Uh, one of them is that it is extremely difficult to get guns in Germany uh, compared to how difficult it is to obtain them in the United States. Shootings, uh, not just political shootings, but shootings of any kind are much rarer in Germany, uh, and especially mass shootings like this. Uh, nine people died um, in the shooting uh, at two bars, two separate bars. Um, Beyond the personal tragedies uh, of those who were killed and their family members and loved ones, there is the political tragedy that this represents. Um, in Germany, again, somewhat unlike the United States, when attacks like this occur, uh, nobody pretends that it has anything to do with anything other than right-wing militancy. It was very clear from the beginning that these attacks were uh, politically, ethnically, racially motivated. Um, the shooter, uh, whose name I don't intend to repeat in this broadcast, uh, posted a screed on YouTube uh, before his attack, uh, describing his motivations, which were just racist, um, and even in English, calling for militants in the United States to rise up with him to effectively unite to defeat uh, what he considered to be the menace of immigrants and Islam in particular. So what this means is that this is the sign of the return of the normalcy of right-wing political violence in Germany. Um, and this is something that Germans are especially uh, acutely aware of. Uh, they pay very close attention to these kinds of things, uh, again, in a way that people in the United States don't necessarily. 
And this is where I'm going to return uh, back from political violence uh, to the AFD, uh, to this right-wing political party. Now, the AFD is not itself necessarily a fascist party. Uh, they don't have a revolutionary right-wing platform. Uh, they don't specifically call for violence themselves. Um, they don't have a developed par uh, paramilitary wing. However, they are a right-wing nationalist party. Um, some of their members are neo-Nazis. Um, they are xenophobic. Um, their policies are racist. Uh, they are a few steps shy of fascism. Now, the week before this attack, um, the week of February the 11th, uh, Germany was roiled by a political crisis, a parliamentary crisis. Um, and this is something that I mentioned in the previous episode of the podcast. Um, there was a regional election uh, for the government of the German state of Thuringia, in which, for the first time since 1946, well, I guess since 1933, a conservative party in Germany talked about forming a coalition government with an extreme right-wing party, with the AFD. Um, there was this election in Thuringia, and the Christian Democratic Union Party, the ruling party of Germany, Angela Merkel's party, their regional leaders discussed adding the AFD to their regional governing coalition. Now, again, if you are listening to this from the United States, this might not sound as scary as it does to many people in Germany. In Germany, this news was met with near universal revulsion and even horror. In response, uh, the leader of the Christian Democratic Union Party, the party chairperson, uh, resigned. Um, and this is especially significant because uh, this person was the designated successor, effectively, of Angela Merkel. Now, Merkel has been the chancellor of Germany for 15 years, and so her time to lead is effectively closing up. She's in, She said that this is going to be her final term as chancellor, and this woman, uh, who had been the party chairperson, uh, was supposed to succeed her um, as the leader of the Christian Democratic Union Party and as the chancellor of Germany. However, she resigned um, as a result of this crisis uh, involving forming a coalition government with the AFD. What this means is that the specter, even just the possibility, the fact that the AFD was talked to about forming a coalition government was enough to completely upend German parliament uh, and the future of its ruling party. Uh, the future of the ruling party of one of the most powerful countries on earth was completely altered by the rise of the right wing. All right, this has been 15 Minutes of Fascism, a podcast I wish I didn't have to make and that you didn't have to listen to. Uh, join us next week, Fridays as usual, uh, to continue our discussion of the global rise of the right wing. Thank you.